Having a space to belong. I moved a lot when I was younger. Having a family built in of people that, that knew me um, was so safe and so great. If the church is more than a building, then it's a local family of believers because we need each other. If we're not going to do it, who will? Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Thanks for making worship a priority this weekend. I want to just put in an extra plug for you. Uh, if you are someone who has been a guest with us for a little while here at Mount Pleasant next week, a week from today, we do have starting point, which is your opportunity to find out everything that you need to know about being connected to Mount Pleasant on a deeper level, being a member of Mount Pleasant, all the responsibilities, all the opportunities, all the privileges that come along with that. So that's at nine o'clock, and so I wanna just make sure that you understand that and that you mark that on your calendar. I'm gonna put <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verses four and five up on the screen, <clears throat> and because we always make the public reading of scripture a part of our service, if you're able, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me as I read these words. This is the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> and he says, just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I can't remember a single time in my life when I wasn't deeply involved and connected to the local church. I grew up in church. My home church was on the west side of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was called Osage Hills Christian Church. When my family moved from Tulsa to Houston when I was 16, 17 years old, the church we attended there was called Western Meadows Christian Church. It was in a suburb of Houston called Aleaf, which is where my wife Sandy grew up, and that's where we met. We met in church. Everyone say, oh. <laughs> After graduating from high school, I went straight to Bible college, and out of Bible college, I went straight into vocational ministry in the local church, and I've served four churches over the last 40-plus years. Three of them I have been the senior pastor of, I have spent my entire life literally in church. And that's something I thank God for every day because I love the church. I love the big picture church around the world and I love the local church, whether it's small or whether it's large or somewhere in between. And because of that, I wanted to begin this new year with this message series called Love Your Church. And it's based on a book that I read last year that has the exact same title, Love Your Church. In that book, the author gives several different responsibilities of being church members. And we're gonna talk about seven of those responsibilities over the next seven weeks. But instead of calling them responsibilities, we are going to call them privileges because that's what they are. But having said that, I wonder how many of us really honestly and genuinely look at our participation in the local church as a privilege. My hope and prayer is that when we're done with this series, that that's the way you'll feel about your participation here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church or one of our impact campuses. I hope you'll view that as one of the greatest privileges of your life. To be completely honest, that's the way I view it. I don't know where I would be without the church today. And I say that from a very honest and sincere heart. 
I don't want you to misunderstand what I mean by that. I understand that my life rests in the everlasting love of God that was demonstrated so clearly when he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross and provide me and you the opportunity for forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with him. But here's what I also understand. It was in a local church filled with flawed and imperfect people where I first heard that message when I was just a little boy. And it was in a local church filled with flawed and imperfect people who were willing to share that message with me in a number of personal ways. And it was in a local church where I learned as flawed and imperfect as I am, I could be used by God to share that same message with other people and maybe in the process do something significant for God with my life. So my life from the time I was very small, very young, until today has been shaped literally by thousands of people, places, and experiences that have all been centered around the local church. And I can't describe that in any other way than as a great privilege. Is it a great responsibility? It also is, it very much so is, but it is first and foremost a privilege. And this is something you can only understand, honestly, when you embrace what it means to genuinely belong, belong to the church, which is something that I fear has become very misunderstood in our modern world. And I say that because when you talk about the privilege of belonging to a local church, you have to connect that privilege to responsibility and commitment. I'm gonna pause here and tell you that when I was typing those words in my manuscript, my mind, because of all these years of studying the Bible and preaching and teaching the Bible, my mind immediately went to so many different biblical reasons why all of us who claim to be Christians need to be committed to a local church. I, I, I typed in, when you are saved, you experience forgiveness of sin and a new life with Jesus, and that new life with Jesus is best experienced in and through a communal relationship with the church that's living on mission for Jesus because we do so much more together than we could ever do on our own. I typed in, being a Christian means being a follower of Jesus who called a group of disciples to follow him, not just one. He called a group of men to follow him. And everywhere he went, that group grew larger and larger and larger. I typed in, the New Testament uses collective metaphors to describe followers of Jesus, and they include words like flock and family and household and body. So the clear implication is that following Jesus is not something that you do alone. I typed in the words, Paul's favorite metaphor for the church in the New Testament is clearly the word body. And you have to understand the significance of that. If you're a hand in the body of Christ, you need a wrist and you need an arm and you need a head or you'll just be hanging limp, unable to do anything or accomplish anything for Christ. And I could give you several more biblical reasons, but at the end of the day, this idea of belonging to a local church all comes down to understanding this one simple truth. God created us for community. God created us for belonging. God created us for connection and involvement and on and on and on. I know we live in a <clears throat> world that celebrates individualism and we live in a world that celebrates autonomy, 
And no one wants to be described as having to be dependent on someone else for any meaning in their life, but that's how God created us. And regardless of the image we project on the outside, I've been a pastor long enough to know that every single person on the inside, deep down where it matters the most, has this desire to belong, has a desire to be accepted, and has a desire to be connected. This is how Tony Merida, who is the author of the book, Love Your Church, puts it. He writes and says, as image bearers of God, people are made for community. The triune God is a relational God, and he has created us for relationships. Think about that for a moment. He says the triune God is a relational God. What's that mean? Well, it means what the Bible says about God, that there is one God, but that one God exists at all times in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so there's a relational aspect to the reality of who God is, and because of that, he created us for relationships with one another. And that means this desire for relationships and this desire for community is not just something that somebody could say about you. This is something that is written on your heart by the creator. Something that's written on all of our hearts. And the kind of community that meets that relational need can only be discovered through belonging and embracing everything that that word belonging means. My wife, Sandy, who always sits over here with me on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, her maiden name is Elston, E-L-S-T-O-N. And so her family, the Elstons, here's an interesting thing about them, they are descendants of the Mayflower. I'm sure some of you in this church could probably say the same thing. What that means is they can document their descent into the United States of America from at least one of the 102 passengers who arrived on the Mayflower in 1620 to what is now Plymouth, Massachusetts. And so as a result, the entire time we've been married, and my children are the same as well, since she's their mother. As a result, we get mail all the time in our home from the time we've been married, which is almost 42 years now, from the Mayflower Society because she is a part of the Mayflower Society. But while she might be a part of the Mayflower Society, she does not belong to the Mayflower Society. And the reason why I say that is because she doesn't participate in it in any way. That's not a criticism. She doesn't even open up the envelopes when they come. <laughs> I don't know if she's ever looked at the catalogs or the magazines. Oh, she said I have, so I'm corrected on that. <laughs> that's not a criticism, that's just a fact because they're friends, listen to me close. There is a difference in being part of a community and belonging to a community. And that's something that everyone has to recognize when it comes to the Christian life. I have had so many occasions over the past 40 plus years of my life to come across someone who says, well, pastor, I'm a Christian. I just, I'm just not interested in church. Well, pastor, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. Pastor, I'm a Christian, I just don't have a church home. Pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm just not interested in belonging to a church. You can say it a hundred different ways. And my response to that is always, well, first, you'd have a hard time finding any affirmation for that point of view in the Bible. And second, 
Everyone belongs to something or someone, whether you realize it or not, because a lot of people who say those things, they, they take this great pride in just being an individual that's just separate and living life on their own. But nobody really does that. Let's just think about that for a second from the perspective of sin. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but bear with me. You know, the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners. The Bible teaches us that we sin in a couple of different ways. We sin by the wrong things that we do, but the Bible also says we sin when we fail to do the right things. The Bible calls that sin, well, these words aren't used in the Bible, but we call that sins of commission, that's the wrong things that we do, we actively do, and sins of omission, that's how you describe the good things, the right things that we often fail to do in our lives. And one of the implications of that truth is that it is impossible to live your life in a way that doesn't have some kind of impact on the world around you or some kind of impact on your life because one of the things that teaches us is that what you do and what you don't do have significant implications for your life. And people who stand on that foundation of I'm a Christian, but I just, I'm not interested in church are making a terrible, terrible mistake. The last time I was in Tulsa, which is my hometown, Sandy and I were there a couple of years ago. We had dinner with my older brother. I have a brother that's 17 months older than I am. Five kids in my family. I have an older sister named Candy. Brother named Carrie. My name's Chris, by the way. <laughs> a younger brother named Kenneth that you know. And then I have a younger sister named Kimberly. I'm right in the middle. But I'm not that troubled middle child. I'm really like the baby of the first group because there's a big gap between my brother Kenneth and my sister Kimberly and I. But my brother, uh, Carrie, is just 17 months older than me. We grew up sharing a bedroom our entire life until he graduated from high school. We went in school together, we played on the same sports teams. In high school, we played football and basketball, and we were just one grade apart. And I had a very close connection as a result of those things, but at the same time, could not be more different. We are so very different in so many ways. But I had committed to God before our trip to Tulsa that we were going to get together with him, and that I was going to have a spiritual conversation with him because he grew up in church just the way I did. He. He was taught all the same things I taught. He's, he was at church every time the doors were open, just like I was. And I remember vividly, even though it was so many years ago, the weekend when he responded to an invitation to him and he stood in front of that church family, made a public profession of his faith in Christ. And I remember watching him be baptized into Christ that morning, but he has not lived his faith out in a very, very long time. And so at dinner... I started to talk to him about his personal relationship with Jesus. And my brother's had some significant struggles in his life and his marriage and his family, but we talked about it. And I talked to him about finding a church and being a part of a church. But he said, I just, I'm just not interested. He said, I just don't like being around people. And then he said to me, and I believe he was sincere when he said this. He said, I love God. He said, I pray to God. He said, I'm just not interested in going to church. In other words, he said, when it comes to matters of faith, I'm good just doing my own thing. That's really what he said. He has an I'm good just doing my own thing perspective about the Christian life. And he's not alone in that. In fact, that's something that is 
increased significantly since COVID because there are so many people in, in our country today who used to go to church and be very faithful in going to church every week, but they, they haven't returned. There's a lot of people from this church that I haven't seen in the past few years. They haven't returned to church. Now, I'll, I always wanna make sure that I say so I don't offend too many people. I understand if you've got some kind of a health concern or some specific physical reason why being in a large or a larger crowd is not a good thing for you, but that's not the reality of the majority of people who haven't returned to church. The reality of, the, of a majority of people who haven't returned to church is that somewhere along the line, they just developed the same attitude that my brother did, and that's this, I'm good just doing my own thing kind of an attitude. They may not say it like that, but it's true. But what we all need to understand about that kind of attitude is that it is an obstacle to community. Clearly, it is an obstacle to community. And here's the significance of what that means and what saying that out loud means. It means that when you live that way, you're living in conflict with the way God created you because he created us for community and relationships and connection and belonging. You see that so early on in the Bible in Genesis chapter two after God created Adam and he looked at Adam in Genesis chapter two and verse 18 and he said, it is not good for man to be what? Say it with me, alone. God created us with this need for community and in the modern world, we live and I feel compelled to add that God created us with this need for personal community, which is something you can't get if your participation as church is just watching on a screen. It's not the same, and there is something missing, whether you recognize it or not. Look at this verse, this interesting, fascinating verse related to such a modern-day issue that we find in 2 John verse 12. There's only one chapter to 2 John, so it's just 2 John 12. And in this letter, the apostle John is writing to Christians who are feeling the weight, the heavy weight and the pressure of false teachers. And so he's writing to try to instruct and encourage them. And then in verse 12, he says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you. Say that with me. Face to face. Here's why. So that our joy may be complete so that our joy, the joy of connection, the joy of meaningful communication, the joy of belonging can be complete. How can you look at the end of that verse and not feel like it reinforces the truth that you can't experience the full value of belonging from a distance? You can't experience it virtually because there will always be something missing. And so here's the question, friends. What will it take for Christians, what will it take for followers of Jesus to genuinely embrace the great, great privilege of belonging to a local church? Well, I've got three things in here, but I was only able to get through two of them last night, so we'll just see what happens today. Number one, you have to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. That's the first thing. You have to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. In fact, let me just ask you a question for a moment. If you 
genuinely tried to see the church, and I'm talking about this church now because this is the church, this is the context for all of this. If you genuinely tried to see this church the way Jesus sees the church, how would it change your perspective? How would it impact the way that you looked at the people in the church? How would it impact what's important to you when it came to attending and being a member of the church? How would it impact the attitude that you have toward the different elements of the church, like the music or the order of worship or the ministry programming or things like that? I'm not saying that when you view the church with the same perspective that Jesus does, that those things don't matter anymore. But for some of us, it might change our priorities and our attitude a little bit more and make us a little bit more patient in some areas and a little less judgmental in others. It's virtually impossible, friends, to have a large multi-generational church and have everyone agree about everything at the same time. And in most churches, most people are not afraid to tell you what they don't agree with. But we need to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. And what I mean by that fundamentally is I, I think when you read the scriptures, you see that Jesus sees the church joyfully. He sees the church from a perspective of joy. Joy is the overriding attitude and emotion and feeling that Jesus has when he looks at the church. I, I, I believe we got to do something to try to embrace that same attitude. I know that church is not perfect. I know that there can be weekends when it feels difficult to get to church. You stayed up way too late last night watching the Colts only to be incredibly disappointed once again <laughs> at the end. I'm sorry if you videotaped that or you DVR'd it and I just blew it for you, but you know what? Get over yourself. <laughs> but we need to have joy when it comes to our attitude toward the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote, the greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early church was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. You ever been a part of a church that didn't have any joy? I have. The first church I served out of Bible college. I've told you before, I was a youth pastor. All I wanted to do was be a preacher, but I was 21 years old and single with no experience. And so I took a job as a youth pastor in a local church in Houston, Texas. And I served there for 18 months and I got fired from that church. But here's the deal, it was a troubled church. And it was filled with a lot of discord and a lot of unhappiness. I wasn't really aware of all of that for a long time and how deep it went because I was pretty busy as a youth pastor. I had the responsibility of the nursery all the way through high school. And I felt like I was just constantly keeping plates spinning all the time, recruiting people to be in this ministry team to serve these kids and to serve the church that way. And it was very busy, but there was a problem. There was a significant problem in that church that got so deep that it couldn't be resolved by the leaders. And so they decided this is a brilliant decision to take it to the entire church for a vote of confidence. Let the entire church vote on what should be done. And let me tell you what that is, friends. That is nothing more than a, re a recipe for a church split. And in the weeks that led up to that, the, the unhappiness and the discord just grew exponentially. And there are people who I had 
people you hadn't seen in that church for years came out of the woodwork because conflict somehow energizes people. And they took their stand against whatever position they were against. And people who had been friends forever didn't even talk to each other anymore and relationships were broken. They had a church vote and the decision didn't solve the problem. It just split the church right down the middle. And now where there was one church, there are two churches. And now the church that I was the youth pastor of isn't even around anymore. It's gone. And I didn't realize for the longest time what kind of impact that had on my life. But sometime later, it dawned on me that one of the strongest priorities and one of the strongest motivations that I've had in every church that I've led as a senior pastor is that it would be a church filled with peace and joy that it would be a great experience to be a part of that church. That people would look forward to coming and they would enjoy the time when they were there and when they would leave, they would go home and feel how, feel significantly happier and more joyful or have their happiness and joy reinforced as a result of having been there, whether it was for a service or some other kind of activity. When I left my first church, I led the one that I planted in Sugarland, Texas in 1982. A man came up to me on the last Sunday and said, this has been the best church experience I've ever had. And I think it was in that moment that I realized how much of an impact that unhappy, joyless church that I served for 18 months had on my life. Church has got to be a place of joy. And that shouldn't be a difficult thing to happen because think about how you can describe the local church, friends. You can describe the local church by saying it's a, pe- it's a place where broken people find healing. And where unredeemed lives find redemption. And where lost people are found. This isn't in the PowerPoint, but before I came to church last night, I was thinking about this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter six, this local church in Corinth that was so troubled and Paul writes in verse nine of chapter six, as he's really trying to get the attention of these people in a way that they won't miss, he says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Now notice this, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he writes, and that's what some of you were. He's writing that to a local church. How can a place where that level of redemption and life change be anything other than joyful? That's the way the church has to be. It's got to be a place of joy I've met a lot of people before, and you probably have as well, who've, and I've invited them to church, and they say, well, I I can't come to church right now. I gotta get my life together before I come, right? You ever met anybody like that? I used to play in a a golf league out in 
Martinsville, and I did that for several years, and there were a lot of guys out there who, you know, honestly, were just a long way from God, and they knew I was a pastor, and so we had spiritual conversations while we were playing golf, um, and, um, you know, I would invite them to church and they would say things, oh, man, if I walked into your church, the, the roof would fall in. And they, they didn't say that as a joke. I think they in some way really meant that. And so the natural follow-up was when I get things a little bit more straightened out in my life, when I get a little bit better in my life, then I'll come to church. That's the exact opposite of the way it's supposed to be. Somebody say amen to that. And any church that gives that kind of impression, and I don't believe Mount Pleasant does, but any church that gives that kind of impression is shame on them. That's the exact opposite of the way it's supposed to be. Church should be a place where you can come so you can get your life together. And when our ministry revolves around the joy of Jesus and what he has to offer to anyone and everyone, then that's what we experience. The word for church in the scriptures is the Greek word ekklesia, which basically means gathering or assembly. Some, in some Greek lexicons, it's described as being called out to do those things, called out to gather or called out for assembly. And I think that's crucial to our understanding of the church because it keeps us from thinking that we can be a part of the church from a distance. You can be a part of a lot of things from a distance, but you can't be a part of the church you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, and because of that, one of the reasons, one of the results of that is that I've just been a lifelong sports fan for the University of Oklahoma. I hate it some days, but that's the way it is. And I can remember where it started. It started in November of 1971 when I sat on the floor in front of that television set at my Aunt Florence's house and watched what they called the game of the century at the time when an undefeated Oklahoma played an undefeated Nebraska for for all intents and purposes, the national championship that year. And I was hooked ever since then. But there have been times when being an OU fan has called me a, caused me a great deal of emotional trauma. <laughs> but after living in Indiana for over 20 years with a lot of people who are Hoosiers and Boilermakers, I know that my trauma is not nearly as bad as others. <laughs> I went, to, I went to CVS. I went to this CVS down the street one day because I live so close. I went to CVS down the street one day and I was wearing an OU hat. I'm not a hat person. I don't wear hats very often except when I play golf. I'm not a t-shirt person, but I'm a team player. Unfortunately, I have some shoes to go with my t-shirt. <laughs> but I was wearing an OU hat and some guy that I'd never seen before in my life, some knucklehead that I did not know from Adam started mouthing off to me because I had an OU hat on. What's that about? And I literally looked at him in the moment and said, you know, in my whole life of living, I don't think I ever looked at somebody and said anything to them about the hat they were wearing or the shirt they were wearing. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> that part of the story is true. <laughs> and then I looked at him and I said, well, who do you root for? And he named one of those Indiana teams. I'm not gonna tell you which one it was. One of those Indiana teams, and I held up my finger and said, you're not allowed to ever have a conversation with me about f college football again in your entire life. <laughs> that part of the story is not true, but I like the way that sounded when it came out of my mouth. <clears throat> I'm an OU fan, and here's the thing. You know what? I can be an OU fan from anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. I don't have to live in Nor Norman, Oklahoma to be a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners. I don't have to go to home games. I don't have to be in person for anything. I can be a fan from anywhere. God didn't call any of us to be fans of the church. He calls us to belong. 
He calls us to show up. He calls us to participate. He calls us to worship together. And a lot of people, quite frankly, have just settled for being a fan of the church when the very definition of the church in the scripture means that we come together with each other. But if you don't view the church from the perspective of Jesus, it's easy to treat it like a team that you just follow as a fan. And I'll be really candid with you. In a church like Mount Pleasant, it's large with the influence that it has. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people in and around this community who would tell you that Mount Pleasant is their home church, but the truth is they haven't walked through the doors in a long, long time. That's not how it works. We show we are a part of the universal church by identifying with a real community of people locally. It is like our union with Christ we live at our spiritual union with Christ visibly, and we live at our union with one another, each other as believers, visibly. Here's a second thing, and I'll do this quickly. We're not gonna get through all three. Elevate, you've gotta elevate your concept of the church. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul describes the church as a body. Specifically, he describes the church as the body of Christ. And as you continue reading from Ephesians chapter one into Ephesians chapter two, you see Paul remind the Jews and the Gentiles that prior to Jesus coming, they both in their own way were alienated from God. Jews and Gentiles before Jesus were both in their own way alienated from God. But because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, now everyone, anyone and everyone can be reconciled to God. And this truth is huge because it impacts our lives in two ways. First, because of what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and then rose from the dead. Our lives, when we put our faith and trust in him, our lives can be reconciled to God. And once our lives are reconciled to God, we can be reconciled with one another, no matter how different we are. And this is how Paul describes that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near, but they were both separated in their own way. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Listen to this. You are members, everyone say members, members of God's family together. We are his house. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself. We need to elevate our concept of what the church really is. All of us share one thing in common. We are sinners. And here's the thing about sin. It separates us from God and it damages or it breaks everything in our life. But the message of the gospel is Jesus repairs what has been broken by reconciling us to God and to each other. This is the message of the gospel. And this is what makes the church so incredible because this is the central message of the church. This reconciliation message. This truth And so when we come to church together, just like we're doing right now, when we gather together to worship like we're doing right now, we do this to proclaim and celebrate what God has done in our lives. There should be joy in that, constant joy, unending joy. Toward the end of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a section that he calls nice people or new men. That's kind of like a question. Nice people or new men? We can think of it as nice people or new people. 
And in this section of the book, he asks this question, which one does God want us to be? Does he want us to be nice people or new men? Does he want us to be nice people or new people? Which one does God want us to be? And one of the ways we elevate our concept of the church is to understand the truth that the goal isn't to come to church each week and just look nice and have nice interactions with each other and to see the things that are done and say, wasn't that nice? The goal is to come because we've been made new. We gather because we've been made new all of us in the exact same way for the exact same reason by the exact same person. We understand that being a little nicer than we used to be is a part of the total renovation of our lives and our souls, but it's not what we settle for because we need so much more than just being a little bit nicer than we used to be. In fact, listen to what C.S. Lewis writes in this section. Again, it's nice people are new men. He writes, he, talking about Jesus, he meant what he said. Those who put themselves in his hand will become perfect as he is perfect. Perfect in love, wisdom, joy, beauty, and immortality. The change will not be complete in this life. It's a reference to heaven. We'll only be truly, completely, 100% changed when we are in heaven. But as we worship together, the change grows a little bit more with every passing day. And so church isn't a place we come to show everyone how nice we are. Church is a place we belong to. Listen to me. Church is a place because we belong to because we, once we were dead and now we're alive. It's really that fundamental. Once we were dead, spiritually dead, but now through Christ we are alive. We've been made into new people and so we gather to worship and glorify him as a group of people who celebrate that glorious truth. Well, I'm completely out of time, and so I'm gonna stop right there. I just, I just wanna give you the strongest encouragement as we begin this new year with this message series focused on loving your church. I just wanna give you the strong encouragement to make sure that you really understand the significance of the church and the significance a local church needs to play in your life. It's not about attendance. It's not about setting records. It's about living out the reality of your faith in a community, which is the way God created us to live. We need to elevate our concept of the church. We need to identify with people in the church. We, never, we need to never forget what a privilege it is to be a part of a local church. We need to pray for our church. I hope you pray for Mount Pleasant Christian Church and all of our impact campuses each and every day. I love the church. I love the local church. The local church recognized my life. The local church taught me there could be meaning to my life. The local church gave me the opportunity to serve Jesus in a specific way. And the local church has blessed my life beyond any way I could ever describe with words. And I will forever be grateful to be a part of the local church. I hope that's the way we all feel. And as a result, we love our church. 
Father in heaven, thank you for our time together this morning in your word, and thank you for the church. Thank you for everything about the church and what the church means, can mean, should mean in all of our lives. Thank you for creating us with the need for community and connection and participation and belonging. Help us to embrace that. We live in a world and a culture today that, that provides every week, provides some, some other option than the church. And we there are Christians everywhere who, who, who find their community in other places beyond the church. But we were created for this. We were made for this. Your church was created and made for this. And help us to understand that in the depth of our hearts. And help us to demonstrate the kind of commitment and the kind of joy that is created by the need and the desire and the opportunity to belong. Belong to one another and to you in the fellowship of the local church. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.